Thank you so much to Podcorn for sponsoring this week's episode. I've been using Podcorn to help find sponsors for my podcast, and their website makes it so easy. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing sponsorship opportunities such as host-read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and more. Podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose opportunities right on the platform, set their own rates, and collaborate with brands directly. You don't have to worry about any middleman, and the best part is, is you never give up the rights to your podcast, and Podcorn is there to support you at every step and ensure you're protected and compensated for the work that you do for brands. Start monetizing your podcast today by signing up for Podcorn using the link in the episode's description. On June 12, 2011, three Lithuanian cave divers entered an abandoned, flooded ballistic missile mine. Only two of them would return to the surface alive. What caused the death of one of the divers, and what was inside the missile silo? Find out on this week's episode of Narcosis Into the Deep. Hi everyone, I'm your host Alex, and welcome to Season 2 of Narcosis Into the Deep. We're starting our newest season off with an interesting topic, cave diving a now-flooded man-made structure. I'm going to give you a little bit of a history background on this military base before discussing the dive and potential ways that it went wrong. Bear with me as I try my best to pronounce all the names and locations correctly in this episode. But let's not waste any more time and dive right into this week's episode. When the United States started building underground military bases in the late 1950s, the Soviet Union felt the need to also maintain its military capabilities. Therefore, in September 1960, the Soviet Union started the rapid construction of underground military bases. One of the first underground military bases was constructed near the village of Plokskai in Lithuania, SSR. Sitting at 520 feet or 160 meters above sea level, this chosen location allowed missiles to reach Turkey and all of the European NATO members. Since there were no large towns or villages nearby, it was the perfect place for construction of an underground military base for missiles. Although the Plokstein nuclear missile launch site started operating around three years after it was established, it was one of the top Soviet military secrets and wouldn't be discovered by U.S. reconnaissance until 1978. The base contained a large network of tunnels and included four silos with depths between 89 to 112 feet or 27 to 34 meters deep. In the base's prime, these underground silos housed R-12 missiles with nuclear warheads. But after about 12 years of operations, the site was eventually shut down. These missiles were removed from the base on June 18, 1978, and after the collapse of the Soviet Union, the site was abandoned and never maintained. During its years of abandonment, the base was visited by many urban explorers and numerous metal thefts before eventually receiving extensive reconstruction in 2012. The former military base now hosts a Cold War museum. Tourists can go underground, 
visit the Missile Silo Labyrinth and get knowledge on Cold War period, propaganda strategies, consequences of nuclear explosions, and how life was like in the military base. Before the site's reconstruction in 2012, in June of 2011, three Lithuanian divers entered the abandoned, flooded missile silo for adventure and, some speculate, in search of precious metals. Idis and Vitis entered the military base on the morning of June 12, 2011. Although the area was potentially dangerous, access was not restricted and warning signs were not present. However, the pair knew just how dangerous this site could be. They wore helmets to protect their heads during the dive, wore two small gas tanks on either side, and discussed the possibility of tight or blocked corridors prior to their dive. The pair found an area that was easily accessible and slowly made their way through the labyrinth of corridors. They went through rooms that were only partially flooded, pausing to take off their gear and climb through the small, cramped spaces, and eventually made their way to the flooded silo. Reaching a depth of about 79 feet, or 24 meters, they were able to dive straight down the silo and witness what history had left behind. While it isn't explicitly mentioned anywhere, my best guess is that the pair of divers found precious metals or other items worth taking because later that same day, the two divers would return for a second dive, but this time with a third diver, their friend Linus. Excited to show their friend the location, the three divers geared up and re-entered the cold waters. However, on his return dive, Idas would meet a terrible fate. In just a few local papers, Idas's cause of death is reported as a drowning. In a video taken at this abandoned missile silo, you can see a few rooms are only partially flooded. However, the video also shows rooms of varying sizes completely filled with cold water and large amounts of silt and sand being kicked up by the diving team. There's a couple of different reasons why Idis could have drowned at this site. If you're an avid listener of the show, you might already be able to guess a few different causes, so go ahead and take a minute to think of those while we take a quick break and hear from one of our show sponsors. Are you searching for a new true crime podcast to listen to? Then search no further than Military True Crime Addict. David Kokish walks you through a plethora of actual military true crime stories that have never been reported on by news outlets or media. Each episode features a detailed account of true crime that in some way relates to our military, veterans, and their extended families. There will also be an abundance of episodes on serial killers with a military background that you will not believe. Military True Crime Addict provides a voice to victims so you can hear their side of the story, and it raises awareness for the terrible crimes and those most impacted. You don't need to know anything about the military to enjoy this podcast, so what are you waiting for? Go listen to Military True Crime Addict now. From what I could find online, Idis's death was never fully investigated or reported, and because of this we only know the simple explanation of drowning. But we know that cave divers face a multitude of hazards during their dives, and some of these are silt, 
dying flashlight batteries, getting trapped or lost, and even the possibility of having the cave or structure crumble on top of you. These risks are compounded on top of the normal diving risks, such as running out of air, panicking, decompression sickness, etc. Tight corridors, dark rooms, and tons and tons of silt. This location definitely did not meet criteria for a great diving location. Yet these men entered the same waters twice in one day, either in search of riches or adrenaline. Silt is defined as fine sand, clay, or other material carried by running water and deposited as a sediment, especially in a channel or a harbor. It's commonly found in caves, or in this case, man-made caves. Kicking up silt causes what divers sometimes refer to as a silt-out or a white-out. After disturbing these fine particles, underwater visibility is rapidly reduced to zero. The best comparison would be entering a thick fog. Imagine that you're driving on a cloudy day. Visibility is pretty good and you have no trouble seeing where you're going. But suddenly, a thick fog appears out of nowhere and you can barely see a few inches in front of your headlights. You were paying attention to where you were going, but how well? Can you complete your car ride in this thick fog without getting lost? If you're diving in silt, not only do you have to worry about getting lost, but you're also on a time constraint. You don't want to run out of air trying to find your way back. But if silt had been kicked up, at least enough to cause the death of one diver, how did the other two survive? It's possible they maintained their composure, found a way out, and then later alerted authorities that Itis had not made it out. Factoring in the tight passageways, this team had to stick together to help pass their gear from one side of a room to another, so it's unlikely that Itis drowned after getting lost. However, it is completely possible, and highly likely, that Itis could have gotten stuck. The videos of the dive, which can be found on YouTube, and I'll also repost them on the podcast's Instagram page, at NarcosisPod, shows just how snug some of these areas are. Thinking back to Season 1, Episode 10, the one about the two Finnish divers who died while cave diving, it's quite possible that just like Jari H, Idas got stuck, panicked, and then either ran out of air or passed out. Although the missile base is nowhere near as deep as the Steinegufeigt cave, panic can easily set in at any depth and have deadly consequences. If you recall to earlier in the episode, the dive Idas died on was actually his second dive on the same day. One thing we haven't discussed yet on the podcast is repeat diving. Although repetitive diving most likely did not have an effect on Itis' death, I think it's important to discuss it now. Repetitive diving comes with increased risks, especially for new or inexperienced divers. This is going to get more technical here as I explain a few new terms, but bear with me as I try my best to break it down for non-diver listeners. During a dive, your body absorbs nitrogen from the air mixture that you're breathing. The deeper you dive, the less bottom time you have, or aka time spent at the deepest part of your dive. Another term that we haven't discussed yet is residual nitrogen time. 
Residual nitrogen time becomes crucial if you intend to dive more than once because it helps track your nitrogen absorption over a series of dives. To understand residual nitrogen time, a basic understanding of nitrogen absorption underwater is necessary. When a diver is underwater, his body absorbs nitrogen gas from the air or gas that he uses. Time limits, called no decompression limits, exist to reduce scuba diving dangers and risks. A no decompression limit, or sometimes referred to as a no stop limit, is the time interval that a diver may theoretically spend at a given depth without having to perform any decompression stops while ascending back to the surface. These time limits are based on depth, so the deeper a person dives, the more rapidly his body absorbs nitrogen, and the more quickly he approaches a no decompression limit. Nitrogen absorption is, simplistically speaking, proportional to depth. So the deeper you dive, the more nitrogen you absorb. As an example, a diver can theoretically spend 205 minutes at 30 feet or 9 meters under the water before reaching their no decompression limit. But obviously you're going to run out of air before getting anywhere near this amount of time. But in contrast, another diver can spend only 8 minutes at 164 feet or 50 meters before reaching a no decompression limit. As the diver ascends, his body begins to release the nitrogen gas he absorbed during the dive. However, the release of nitrogen from a diver's body is a slow and gradual process. Even after surfacing and spending some time out of water, some nitrogen remains in the system. If a diver makes another dive on the same day, the leftover nitrogen from the first dive will reduce his no decompression time limit. At the beginning of a second, third, or even fourth dive of the day, the diver still has some residual nitrogen in his body from his previous dives, which means that this diver can no longer use his actual dive time and depth to calculate his nitrogen absorption on his repeat dives. Now, I know this sounds confusing, and you might be asking yourself how you can calculate this, especially on a dive boat in between your dives. Well, it's actually a lot more simpler than you think. Your scuba certification course will teach you how to read dive tables. And if you'd like to learn more on how to read dive tables now, I highly recommend going to scubatutor.com. That's scuba-tutor.com. They do a great job of breaking down dive tables into simple terms and use great examples to help it make sense. But back to Itis, what does all of this have to do with him? Well, this was his second dive of the day, and although I don't have access to their dive log from this day, it's important to remember that repetitive diving comes with increased dangers and risks. While it's not very likely, increased nitrogen levels can't be ruled out completely, at least in my opinion. While we can speculate and debate all day on the different ways that Idis drowned during his dive, we'll never know what exactly happened on that fateful day. Shortly after Idis's death, Vitus and Linus posted a video on YouTube in memory of their friend. The caption reads, quote, In this Soviet IRBM base died our friend. 
That cannot be undone. What for is self-evident, however rhetoric question. Non-divers will hardly understand. Most of the divers too. To understand this, you need to do two things. See such place for yourself and take a look at the shining eyes of the ones who have just been there. It is very immature to think that there are some artifacts of great value. We are adults for a while already and we do not believe in such fairy tales. There is no treasure in such places. We dive such places because it's interesting and rewarding spiritually." End quote. At the end of the memorial video, the friends state, quote, In memory of Idis Z, you are more than just a friend. With the loss of you, all of us lost a part of ourselves. We miss you. End quote. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Narcosis Into the Deep. I'm your host, Alex, and if you have any questions on this week's episode, you can head over to my Instagram page, at NarcosisPod, or to our Discord server. If you want to support the podcast, there's always Patreon or sharing this podcast with a friend. The Patreon is just $3 a month or the price of one coffee, and you get access to a lot of perks such as voting on what to hear next, exclusive updates, a shoutout at the end of the next episode, and 10% off merchandise. Thank you to my newest patrons, Kier E, Jim A, Ryan B, Timothy A, Sarah, and Mandy. Your support helps the podcast more than you know, and I am so grateful to have you all on this journey with me. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you all next week. Thank you.